Greetings from Las Vegas for Care Talk's third annual HLTH conference interview series. Stride Health co-founder and CEO Noah Lang helps gig workers access health insurance and other benefits. It takes a lot of stamina, but fortunately, Noah's a triathlete. I'm looking forward to hearing about Stride or at least learning what ICRA means. Welcome to Care Talk, America's home for incisive debate about healthcare business and policy. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the president of Walgreens Health. Welcome, Noah. Are you really that good an athlete? I mean, what's 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 that about? Thanks for having me. Uh, no, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> uh, I have an addiction, and it's called running and sometimes biking and swimming. But I have I have two little girls now, so it's mostly just running in the dark before they wake up. So maybe before we get into Icra, Icarus, whatever wherever you're going with that, David, you could talk a little bit about what's the origin story for your company and why does it need to exist. Yeah, thank you. Um, I started Stride kind of in the wake of the Affordable Care Act when that whole market is being disrupted. And for the first time ever, every American has access to health coverage and assistance to pay for it. Um, my view on this entire industry has been about kind of the biggest consumer pain points is just understanding what you have access to and what you're going to pay for it, right? And kind of an obvious observation. And yet it's still a foundational challenge in consuming health care. And so I came at it from the financial decision. How am I going to pay for coverage? Uh, what is it going to cost me? It's all dictated by my insurance. Uh, the origin story for me in caring about this, because my wife kind of laughed at me when I said I'm going to become an insurance agent, uh, is I dealt with it myself for a lot of athletic reasons. I've broken both of my legs. I've torn a lot of ligaments. And every single time I deal with trying to get good health care or bad health care, uh, I can't figure out what the hell it's going to cost me. Uh, so, you know, I thought to myself, I'm privileged. I had an employer picking from a few very good health plans. I can't really go wrong. But if I'm an individual out there buying my own coverage or choosing to go uninsured versus insured, I can screw up big time. And so what if we start with the moment people buy coverage, we might help them have a better clinical outcome far downstream by just understanding what they have access to and what it's going to cost you. And so you know, I actually come from a family of freelancers entrepreneurs. My dad's a solo practitioner attorney. My sister's a freelance designer. My mom is a realtor. In all of these businesses, all of these jobs, you have to get your own health insurance and a bunch of other things like figure out your own taxes, plan for your own retirement. So I, I kind of unknowingly grew up in this bubble of people who don't get these the benefits, family. the gig family. Yeah. <laughs> the reality of insurance is that you make money on group insurance. And the only place where, where healthcare, healthcare insurance companies have historically made money on individuals is in Medicare and Medicaid managed care, which is a form of group insurance of a different sort. And so typically individuals, if they could get insurance, were paying a titanic amount of money because it was the also-ran product and you couldn't really underwrite it, the ACA, the Affordable Care Act comes in and starts to create more of a pool where you could you could insure those that population. So with all of that happening, why do we need you? Well, the ACA was a bumpy ride, right? For the first time ever, you could get covered without, uh, frankly, having to disclose any health conditions that you had and, and without your gender affecting your price point. So for the first time ever, these health plans have to figure out how to underwrite without doing underwriting. Uh, so we had this kind of ACA 1.0, as I like to say, those first couple of years where some carriers came in hard and left quickly because they were losing money. We had ACA 2.0, which on the surface of it was a presidential administration and a Congress saying, we're going to burn this whole thing down, right? We're going to start new. We're going to rewrite this. What was going on behind the scenes was health plans over the course of that administration in the ACA markets, improve their margins, 
896%. Basically, they went from losing money or not making money to profitable. Uh, and that administration also did one other thing. Inside HHS and CMS, they built integrations with the private sector. So I started working on this with the Obama administration. We launched it with the Trump administration. We're scaling it with the Biden administration. And it's something called enhanced direct enrollment. It's kind of wonky, but hear me out. Uh, you can actually now come to stridehealth.com, my company, and I can verify John is who he says he is. Probably a different John Driscoll, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I asked the IRS, so we'll see if they have the right data. There's or not. a lot of John Driscolls out there. <laughs> and and I can get you those tax credits without you having to go to healthcare.gov and you can spend them on your own health insurance within our ecosystem. So it created, kind of launched a public private sector ecosystem to support growth in the ACA markets. Enter phase three, ACA 3.0. We've got a you know, Biden administration who's supportive of it, a Congress who grows the tax credits. So markets more stable than ever, and then more people qualify for tax credits than ever before. Uh, and you're seeing this thing really bloom. And why is this tax credit thing important? I know that everybody likes them, but why is it important for you and in, in, in this particular healthcare decision? Well, it makes coverage free for a lot of Americans. Uh, on our platform right now, nine out of 10 people qualify for some form of tax credit that you can actually spend in real time. So you don't and of course, everybody knows that, right? Nobody knows it. There's a huge awareness. David, did you know it? I mean, I, you, you look kind of confused. John, I always look confused, especially when you're talking. But uh, no, I didn't know it. I, I leave it to you to explain it to me. So right now, 45% of gig workers who use our platform pay nothing for health insurance. It's free and it's good. It's, it's qualified health plans. It's typically $500 a month or so of premiums they're getting for nothing. 72% uh, pay less than $100 a month, right? So getting radically affordable coverage. Compare that to the uninsured population. 80% uh, of those who are uninsured think insurance costs more than $100 a month. It does, unless you have these magical tax credits that lower the cost dramatically. So it's just increasing access, increasing affordability to people who need it most. And that, and that, and that David, actually will lower the total cost of care of the system because many of those uninsured people are still going to be paid for by government. So it's actually pretty interesting. But I, I think maybe you could double click on like what what is the gig economy? What does that mean? We throw that term around, but what is that? What, 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 what's in that? It's really hard to put a kind of a needle point on it because it's a lot of people. I mean, we started out by partnering with companies like Uber, Instacart, Amazon, DoorDash, right? People who kept my family going during the pandemic, for sure. Um, and we interact with a lot. That's the digital delivery-based gig economy. But the, the gig economy is much bigger than that. You can think about the freelance creator economy. I mentioned my sister who's a designer, Patreon creators out there starting their own businesses. Um, there's also the traditional gig economy. I don't know, when I was in high school getting jobs, I was waiting tables. That's a gig economy. You know, we partner with companies like uh, Olive Garden, Red Lobster in, the, in hospitality, The Gap uh, in retail. These are all the gig economy. So fundamentally, I think there's a, there's a massive labor shift towards independent freelance work. This existed before the pandemic. It was accelerated by the pandemic. Fun fact. 12% of the U.S. population, U.S. labor force, freelance for the first time during the pandemic, during like the depths of the pandemic. Maybe not that surprising. Here's the kicker. 70% of those people said, I have no plans to ever stop. I have no plans to go back to that way of work. So we've had a massive shift in the labor force and our benefit system just doesn't really work because it was it was built around companies, not people. You know, one of the things that I think has held back entrepreneurship and kept the uh, the labor market um, from being flexible in the U.S. is a sort of benefits lock. Benefits fear. 
Okay. Well, they're afraid I can't leave this because, you know, my kid needs something or my spouse needs something or I need something. And actually, I think the Affordable Care Act has really done a good job of allowing the economy to be more, be more flexible. And it seems like even though healthcare is complicated as it is, and we'll get to ICRA in a minute, uh, has actually evolved under different administrations to enable this type of economy. This idea about the gig worker still doesn't quite fit, right? There's still these fights about employee or contractor, and does somebody have to be a traditional employee? And, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts about, you know, where that's going. Sure. Yeah. I mean, re regardless of the classification, our benefits model doesn't work anymore, right? It was a construct of, of immediate post-World War II era, and we're building benefits around companies and who can negotiate them well and not around people and what they need. So I think it's fundamentally flawed. And we saw during the depths of the pandemic, it really showed cracks in the employer segment as well. We had full-time employees lose their coverage in the middle of a global health pandemic because they lost their jobs. Like, that doesn't work. That's not going to stick around. So but back to your question around uh, this debate of employment versus contracting, benefits gets caught in the middle of that. Uh, and I think neither model works. I think we need a third way. We need a way for people to actually be flexible. Uh, you can call it an, an on-demand contractor or, or an independent employee. The, the model doesn't work today. We need to actually kind of break the constraints of employees and, and non-employees and create ways for work platforms, marketplaces, employers to give people access to benefits, to fund those benefits, to contribute to them, but not control them. And so th this is still a debate, right? The Department of Labor issued a new rule. Uh, it's out for comment right now uh, to kind of dictate what happens with independent contractor classification. Uh, but the federal government's not going to solve this. It's happening on a state-by-state -state basis, which means it's going to continue to be complex. But who loses in that construct if you were to get the get the, the, the gig, gig economy benefits structure that you want? Who loses? Uh, maybe state payroll taxes. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of losers if you set it up right, right? Why not give uh, employers and non-employers alike tax advantage ways to contribute into benefits and then decouple benefits from the employment side of things? I feel like we're getting closer to the ICRA conversation. <laughs> we are. That's a, That to me is like, you know, the Affordable Care Act was portable benefits 1.0. Anybody can get them. You can get help paying for them. Uh, ICRA is, is kind of the next phase of this evolution of what I call portable benefits in this country where employers can give you money, so in HRA, in a tax advantage form to go buy your own benefits. John, I'm not going to pick your doctor for you anymore. I'm not going to pick your drug formulary for you anymore. I'm not going to pick your retirement plan anymore. Here's some money to go do it yourself. I'm going to contribute and create strong affinity as your employer, but I'm no longer going to kind of create group benefits and lock you into this employment relationship. But isn't there a sense from the employers that are, that are, that are providing this coverage, the large employers like an American Express, American Airlines, uh, JP Morgan, Chase, uh, Boeing Corp, that they, in their wisdom, are going to choose wisely and well for their beneficiaries? Oh, and by the way, they, the employers and the employee benefit providers, also think they're going to get a better deal. Sometimes they will. And I think that's where like the ecosystem needs to evolve, right? In their wisdom, though, they're making choices for tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people, individual families. And why should they, right? Why should the employer make that decision for you? But there is still some room, some room to grow and some room to develop here. Um, we're, we're seeing kind of the, 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 the small market, mid-market employers now grapple with rising healthcare costs and grapple with employees in 30 states or 40 states and all the complexities of running a you know, distributed modern labor force. 
And I think they're realizing it'd be much easier for everybody and probably a better health outcomes for my employees if I give you money to go buy your own. And so that's happening in the W-2 economy. W-2 economy being that economy where you're getting a regular regular pay as opposed to a 1099 where you're getting it paid by hourly, monthly, or whatever. It's, it's a more of a traditional employer market. I did that for you, David, because I know you have a hard time with cash. I don't know what the W stands for. That's the Williams too. That's my, I get, I get that thing. <laughs> I want to see it. No, but I think, John, you just picked on some very big companies. I think for there's a whole bunch of companies that have, you know, hundreds or a few thousand employees and they have this incredible complexity and they don't want to be in that healthcare business. I know you want to be in it and I want to be in it, but uh, most people don't want to be in it. I got one more question for you. So I know you said you're just, you know, you're not much of an athlete, but you're addicted to running, but somehow you were the captain of the triathlon team at Stanford. So how did that happen? You were just more of an addict than the rest of them, or do you have some actual, actual talent? Maybe they don't have a team. You're just one guy. I think I just put my hand up and said, I'll show up. You know, we, 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 you know, I, I joined that team in its early existence and we ended up creating a whole conference. It was not really an organized sport, uh, from a collegiate athletics perspective. Um, so it was, that was a ton of fun. I wasn't the fastest in the pool or fastest on the bike, but I was, I was willing to do the work and, uh, and show up and organize the team. That's what it takes to be able to walk around this gigantic conference. <laughs> I got winded after, uh, you know, booth number 37,000. I'm not sure I can make it my way back through into the casino. Stay on topic. I'll stay on topic. Well, I'm just going to conclude this episode, John. Is that okay? Or did I wander too far? Off? All right, good. So that's it for yet another episode of Care Talk. We've been broadcasting today from Las Vegas. It's actually Care Talk's third annual HLTH conference. And our guest today has been a Stride Health co-founder and CEO, Noah Lang. We've been talking about gig workers and what we can do for them and what he is doing for them and how healthcare is leading the way. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the president of Walgreens Health. If you liked what you heard or you didn't, we'd love you to subscribe on your favorite service. Thank you, Noah. Thank you. <laughs>